Good morning. Um, Happy New Year. It's great to be here. Um, we are we are continuing our series. This is our last part of our Advent series. We continue it two weeks after um, the typical four weeks of Advent, and we are talking through um, the theme of what is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Um, and this week we we come on a passage that is honestly one of probably the most confusing passages in all of Scripture. Um, a passage where, as we just read, we see a 12-year-old Jesus in the temple, um, lost out of the, out of the grasp of his, of his parents. Um, it is the first account of Jesus in his young life. We've only previously seen him as literally a baby in the manger. We hear Jesus' first words, and we see a look into the dynamic that is got to be the most interesting parent-son dynamic ever is two parents trying to raise the son of God. And what we see is, is a story that um, we may have, be, we may be familiar with. In fact, you may have watched it um, a couple weeks ago around Christmas time. Uh, in some ways, this is like the inspired home alone, right? Where we see uh, not an eight-year-old bratty Kevin McAllister, right? And he's, got a, he's got a big mouth and he's got a quick tongue. His family leaves to Paris his mother makes him sleep in the attic. He doesn't wake up with his family. His family leaves to the airport, and to his absolute joy, he has an empty house. Because as you know, his parents weren't necessarily something that he was treasuring at that point. But Jesus' story is different, isn't it? Because Jesus wasn't a bratty eight-year-old. Jesus was the son of God. And while his parents leave for Jerusalem, a pilgrimage that would typically take a day, right, from where they were to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, the exodus, the freedom of their people from, Hebrews, uh, from, from Egyptian slavery. This was, this was a monumental time, an important time. And as you can see, Joseph brings his whole family. They would have, they would have tra probably traveled in groups of 40 or 50. And Jesus, as, as they, they set out to go back home, he's not there. And they realize and they go back and they try to find him. And it's a three-day journey to go back, to look for him, and then to come back home once again. It took three days. But Jesus, all along, this was no accident. This was no alarm clock failure. This was no, um, this was no sheer act of merely misplacing their son. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And at 12, year old, 12 years old, he was purposefully staying in the father's house knowing that would probably demand a response from his parents. And so in, in, in one of the, the most interesting and confusing accounts of Jesus, we see that Jesus seemingly acts in a way that is disrespectful and irresponsible to his parents. His parents look for him, and upon finding him, he says, why were you looking for me? I mean, I, I mean any parent out here, I mean, you have to cringe We've been looking for you for three days, and your first answer to me is, Mom, why were you looking for me? Dad, why were you looking for me? You should have known where I was. And he asks Mary these questions, and I believe that, that our challenge this morning in this text is to deal with the, the, the simple fact that Jesus is confusing. That in this new year, although you're trying to step into new clarity, new goals, new things, Jesus remains 
confusing. And I believe that, that Jesus' confusion, right, in this passage is, is not because he is confused. It's actually because he's very clear. It's because we are confused. And in Mary's response, I believe that we find our challenge, not just for this new year, but for this very moment. And we see that Jesus does not just, right, confuse the people that believe in him, but he, he confuses the skeptic, doesn't he? As we read in verse 47 where he's in the temple, we see that he doesn't just confuse his parents, he confuses the, the teachers in the temple who did not yet know who he was, and they were astonished by the, the things that he knew and the answers that he was, was giving to them. Jesus' clarity confuses the believer and the skeptic. And so if you're, if you're here this morning and, and, and you do not believe in Jesus, or you're here this morning and you have trusted in Jesus, you will both be equally confused with him. And so in order to understand how to treasure Jesus in this confusing life, I think that there's four key truths that we see about this passage that I think we have to understand um, before we leave. And, and the first one is that Jesus' clarity is our confusion. The second is that Mary's rebuke of Jesus is our discomfort. The third is Jesus' submission is our reward. And the fourth is Mary's response is our challenge. And so what I want to look at us first is, is Jesus' clarity. Jesus speaks in this passage for a 12-year-old boy, let alone he's the son of God. We obviously understand that with an unbelievable amount of clarity, borderline disrespectful, right? He says, Mary, why were you looking for me? As clear as day, as normal as he says it, as casual in conversation, he was so sure he was so clear on who he was and what his mission was that uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a situation that we would all absolutely lose ourselves, if we had lost our kid, he speaks with a clarity that leaves us questioning. And what is clarity to God is often confusion to us. And what confuses us about Jesus, I think, is typically three things. One is Jesus' confidence. And we see Jesus for 12-year-old, he speaks with a confidence that is not just above his age, but a confidence that is, is not seen just in normal life. Jesus many times through the gospel says things with unbelievable confidence that we can't believe that he's, he's actually saying, both the skeptic and the believer. In, in the gospels we see that he says, I existed before Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. He says, I am the bread and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, in the, in the story of the paralytic, I have the authority to forgive sins. He told Peter to get behind him because he understood the forces of Satan that were upon him. He knew the Samaritan was a woman past, and he told it to her in the clear of day. Just as confidently as he approached her, he confidently retold to her all of her past. When confronted by Martha and Mary, their brother, brother's Lazarus' death, he says that he is the resurrection and the life, and then if you believe in him, no one will die. And we see that in the temple in this passage. Jesus astonishes the teachers because of what he was saying. And after three days, finally finding him, finally coming and reuniting with him, he says, what? Why were you looking for me? 
do you not know that I should be in my father's house? Jesus did not just have clarity on who he was. Jesus did not just have clarity on what his mission was. He spoke those things with a confidence that forces us to do something with that. The skeptic, what do you do with the fact that a good teacher isn't just teaching good lessons? He's, he's saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And as a Christian, what do you do with the fact that Jesus seems to push our boundaries of what we think is faithful and what we think is true? And uh, while, while his family is taking a pilgrimage to Passover, he says, no, it's more important for me to stay behind and be in my Father's house. Confusing. But to Jesus, he was operating with unbelievable clarity. And it wasn't just that he said these things, it was how he said them. As, an, as normal as a conversation as we would have between us, confident. But we're also, we're also confused by Jesus because of the cost. Because he, he didn't just say these things and then did, did just dominate as the king who came in and crushed, hit, crushed the powers of of Caesar and came in and, and just overtook everything and, and won the day he came in and there was a cost. Jesus' reputation, what, what was it? Was, was he a king adored by everybody? Was he, was he somebody that everybody understood? Was he somebody that was, was applauded? No, he was somebody that was murdered. He was somebody who, who was called a blasphemer. He was overlooked. He was misunderstood. He was abandoned. He was a backstab. At, at the, the Garden of Gethsemane, he's abandoned by his own father, and he cries out and says, why have you forsaken me? He was mocked. He was denied. There was great cost to Jesus' mission. And he didn't just give up his reputation. He gave up worldly treasure. It says in, the, in one gospel account that the devil took him the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord God and serve him alone. He was offered the power of all of the kingdoms at the start of his ministry. And he says, no, I'm not here for that. Jesus says in Luke 14, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Jesus can come to, to collect money and to collect riches and to collect funds and worldly treasures. He says, that my master is the father. Jesus' family, he says, also in the gospels, if anybody comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus didn't come to please his family as we see in this account. His father was more important than Mary and Joseph. His father was more important than the comfortabilities of his family dynamic. His father was more important than a three-day search to find him again because he had to be in his father's house. And Jesus, Jesus didn't have security. <laughs> in that famous passage, we see that he says, foxes have holes, birds have air, um, have, birds in the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't come for the things that we often value, a house, a spouse, security, money. He threw all of those things away and with utter clarity spoke into the world these things with confidence in a way that forces us to demand an explanation, a response. And for many of us, it just leaves us confused this morning. But ultimately, Jesus' greatest cost was his, was his death. He was, 
He was a man of sorrows, a suffering servant, somebody who endured great physical pain, great spiritual trauma, and ultimately died on the cross at a moment in history where people thought, I don't know if he was actually the one. Only to fulfill literally everything that he said in confidence and rise again and say, I was the one. And some of you might have missed me because you were confused. And what I want us this morning to step into is the challenge of Jesus' life, the challenge of, of the confusion that, that Jesus can bring us and to step into a response that I believe is healthy, but not to push it away and merely say it cannot be true. Because if you are sitting here and you are a believer, we are often shocked because Jesus doesn't act like we think he should. Jesus should have obeyed Mary and Joseph. Jesus should have been the, the son that was in, in the caravan following along as they went home. Jesus should have been the one who was caring for people in that way. And he's, he's not in this passage. He, he leaves himself behind purposely to pursue the father and we are confused. And if you're a skeptic here and you're saying Jesus was just a good teacher, Jesus was just a good, um, Jesus just was a, a, a political revolutionary then you have to do something with the fact that we all know good teachers in our life that we've learned good lessons from, but few of those teachers have said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through me. That few revolutionaries would flee every single crowd, given the opportunity, would flee to the Father, would go to the next town, that if they were going to incite a political uprising, that they would welcome that, that they would want the fame, that they would want the protest, that they would want all of those things. They would want to sit on an earthly kingdom. They would want the riches. They would want the power. They would want the influence. And if Jesus was just a revolutionary, you have to do something with the fact that he lived a life where he didn't have somewhere to lay his head. He was poor. He was without security. And he was ultimately suffering and dying on the behalf of people who didn't believe him. And either he is crazy or he's 100% true. And both the skeptic and the believer are challenged because the skeptic believes, I cannot believe that all of these claims are true, but Jesus said them in confidence in a way that demand, demands a response. And for, for us that are sitting here confused, confused about our life, confused about our year, confused about a, a sickness or a suffering or our past or a situation or sin, Jesus' life and Jesus' confidence and Jesus' commitment and Jesus' cost demands a response from our life of how we step into this confusion. And so our application is this. If we learn anything from this first part about Jesus' clarity and our confusion, we have to understand that we as followers of Jesus are called to model Jesus' confident commitment to the Father, which will in turn confuse skeptics and believers in our life. If you take an honest look at your life, an honest look at your life, and the decisions that you make, and the things that you step into, and the things that you do are never questioned and are never confusing to believers in your life and to skeptics in your life. Then I think you also have to question if you understand what Christianity is. Because Jesus stepped into his call to serve the Father in a way that was massively confusing, not just to people who denied him, but to people who were right next to him we have to do something with that and if we look like jesus we have that same response to our lives 
And I, I can't help but think we were, um, we were just, uh, yesterday we were doing a, um, a funeral service for, for the Cromwells, um, Cindy's sister, Ruth, and um, just seeing what they've been through is, is a massively confusing situation. It's a, it's a tough and confusing situation. And I'll never forget, we, a couple weeks back, Rich had shared with, with some of the men at the men's breakfast, and he, he explained the situation, just a, a really tough, confusing, hard situation to grasp. Our hearts just feeling for him. At the end, he confidently said, there are two kids that are in the foster care system that were, were Ruth's um, two daughters, and they need a home, and um, we have to take them. Confident, committed, knowing the cost. Matter of factly, just said this is this is what we have to do. And I, I went up to him. I said, um, "How's that going?" Um, he said, "Yeah, like we we have to do this." And for many people, I think I bring that up because I think it's those real life, it's those real life experiences that are confusing to us. Right, a couple later in their years, taking in two very young kids. What about retirement? What about finances? What about what about the future? What about things? What about my plan? What about my 401k? What about all of these things? And in that moment like that, when you throw all of those things and you're committed, despite the cost, to something so clear and so confidently, it's confusing to people. Why would you do that? How could you do that? Have you thought about this? And you know what? It's witness to people who come into the church and see that and say, man, I want that and I'm attracted to that because I believe that confusing, while, while it can deflect people, right, can also be our greatest evangelistic tool that we have. That if we are faithful to the call that God has given us, that it won't just confuse, but it'll actually draw people near. And I believe in Mary's response, um, we see our own discomfort. We see our own discomfort with the fact that a lot of times to follow the call that Jesus has set before us, it is confusing. And Mary's discomfort is, is noticeable. When she finds Jesus and Jesus says, why have you been, been looking for me? You should have known where, where I was. And, and she responds and she says, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress, meaning an overcoming anxiety. I mean, you can, you can imagine, as any parent in here, I'm not a parent, but you can imagine, I mean, for me, using a, losing a youth group kid on a retreat, I mean, the, the, the phone call that I would have to make, the, 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 the process that I'd have to go through, the, the mental anguish that that would bring, but three days to not know where somebody is, and then to be greeted with that, her response was what? A rebuke. Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. How could you make me feel this way? How could you do this to us? Why would you do this? And I think what we see in Mary's response is, is two types of discomfort. Discomfort that we don't hold the same convictions and discomfort because we're not in control. And so... 
Mary felt this discomfort. She must have felt this discomfort as, as raising Jesus, not just in this event, but raising Jesus, that Jesus had this calling, this clarity, this confidence, this commitment to the Father. And she must have looked at herself and said, I don't have that same commitment. And so our response often to, to even some of those stories that I just shared where, where we hear of people inconvenience themselves, taking people in, loving people in a way that is, is just hard for us to grasp. Later in their years, throwing away security or, or coming and, and making a, a move to a new country or a new state and, and not having a job or not having a, a direction or not. And we, we look at these things and initially when they're, they're, they're perceived as an act of faith, we want to do what? We want to say, it's not true. It's not real. We want to rebuke it and we want to say, I don't have those same convictions. I don't have that deep faith. I don't have those, that same clarity or confidence or commitment to the Father in my life. So instead of being honest with where I am and being honest about my convictions, I will look upon somebody else and say, I rebuke you because you've made me feel this way. How could you do that? What about the cost? What about the finances? What about the commitment? Your confidence seems irrational and naive. But guys, often the truth is that we want our lives to look confident, committed, and costly. And instead of being challenged when faced with Jesus, instead of Mary being challenged when faced with her 12-year-old son who says, I did this for a reason because I was in the father's house, she is callous. And she rebukes the good in someone else because it is a threat to her own faith and convictions. And we do the same thing, don't we? We look at people and we say, well, they can't really be that faithful, right? They must be doing it for a reason. Or they're crazy or they couldn't do that to be a missionary, not, not make money, not have a job, not have security. How could they be doing that? And we, we look down upon it sometimes and we rebuke it. We rebuke what's good in somebody else because it's not present in our own life. And we too rebuke Christ in our own lives when we refuse to be the people that God has called us to be simply because of our comfortabilities. And this is a very uncomfortable, confusing situation for Mary and Joseph. But we can step into that by stepping into the uncomfortable, stepping into forgiving our enemies, stepping into loving our neighbor. And just because something looks confusing does not mean that it's wrong. Because it's easy for us to, to look into to Jesus' account here, right, with his, with his mother and say, Jesus, you were, I don't know how this is inspired scripture, but it seems like you were wrong, right? But just because something is confusing doesn't mean it's wrong. And whether that's you stepping into something that's confusing in your life, a job that is, is confusing that doesn't really make sense or a next step that doesn't, is confusing or doesn't really make sense or a time of suffering or a time of trial or a time of death that doesn't really make sense just because you're stepping into it with commitment and faithfulness despite the cost does not mean that it is wrong simply because people look at it and say, I would not respond that way. And so for me, that's uncomfortable that you're responding that way. We also have discomfort, and we see that, that Mary understands that she's not in control, and it, it gives her discomfort. And, and there, is a, there is a distress, there is an anxiety, there is an anger, there is a rebuke that comes over her, and she says, why have you treated us so? She questions God. She's angry that this is happening to her. And when we do that, 
what do we do? We place God at a level of an authority that is beneath us. And we say that we, we deserve somehow God's favor in the way that we want it. We say, God, you owe me. God, I'm angry because I feel like you owe me. I feel like I've been mistreated. I feel like I've been, I've been treated in a way that I wasn't expecting. And guys, get this. Just like Mary, sometimes we treat Jesus like he's our son and not he's our Lord. Sometimes we treat Jesus like he's our son and not our Lord. And so what do we do? We parent Jesus. And for Mary, this was real because she was Jesus' parent. But she really wasn't, right? There was a father that had commissioned Jesus who went above Mary, and Jesus understood that, but Mary didn't. And so she tries to parent Jesus and say, how could you do this to me? Why would you treat me like this? You should have done this. You should have fallen in line. You should have fulfilled our demands. And I am distressed because of you. And just like Mary, we do that with Jesus, don't we? Jesus, you should have done this for me. Jesus, you should have fulfilled this for me. Jesus, why did this happen to me at this point? And we treat Jesus like our son and not our Lord. We're not Jesus' parent. We're Jesus' servant. But Mary's also anxious that she's out of control. And anxiety is, is a feeling that we are not in control and it exposes our heart, it exposes our treasure. It shows us where our treasure truly resides and oftentimes that treasure is, is two things, knowing the outcome and not being patient to wait for the outcome to come. Mary wanted to know the outcome. Mary wanted to understand the situation. Mary under, wanted to understand why and how this could happen, but, but she didn't. And Jesus' clarity and confidence doesn't make it any better. And Mary didn't want to, to patiently wait for that. She wanted the instant results. She wanted to, to know why. She wanted to have her feelings consoled. And Jesus doesn't offer consolation. He offers a response that is confident. You should have known. I'm supposed to be in the Father's house. And I think the most interesting thing that just hit me about this passage, the most interesting thing that I think we have to grapple with, especially in the new year, is that Mary's proximity to Jesus did not give more clarity to her life in this situation. Mary, the, the, the mother of God who would have seen him from birth to age 12, who would have had a part in raising this divine son of God in a moment where we think she would have had the most insight into the life and happenings of Jesus, especially as a boy, finds herself completely confused even though she is the closest person to Jesus. Your proximity to Jesus in 2020 is not for you to gain this, this, this unbelievable clarity. It's not for you to gain a purpose that Jesus is going to say, this is exactly the plan that I have for you. It is to gain Jesus himself. If we are trying to get close to Jesus to find clarity then I would argue that we're getting close to Jesus for the wrong reasons. We need to be close to Jesus to get Jesus. And Mary, the person closest to Jesus, still finds her place in, in a place of confusion. 
So what does that mean for us here who, who we don't see Jesus physically? It means that, guess what? In 2020, we are going to step into something that is probably confusing. But the answer is not to seek God for some sort of answer or some sort of plan or some sort of writing in the sky, but to understand that if we just get close to Jesus, that we will get him and we will get the benefits of being in the Father's house. And Jesus is, the third truth that we see in this passage is that Jesus' mission is our reward. What's the life that Jesus lived? Jesus' life to live, lived a life that was committed to his father, right? In Luke 2, 49, it says, right, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I was in my father's house? In a weird, right, parenting kind of structure, Jesus goes above Mary and says, you're not my true parent. There's a father in heaven that is greater. There's an obedience that is greater. There's a submission that is greater. And while you are my earthly parents, you do not know what I've been called to by my heavenly father. And this passage is a precursor and would have been a precursor for Mary and Joseph for the life that Jesus' parents would have to watch him daily commit to for the rest of their lives, consistently committing and submitting to the will of the Father despite backlash, persecution, inconvenience, and misunderstandings. They would have had to see him get beaten, go to the cross, get, have, have, have the, the very nature of their family be put into question by their boy who is this divine child who had, who had a role in, in literally restoring the whole world and they would have to see that unfold in every single step of the way, being so close yet so confused. And we see that Jesus' submission is our reward because he emptied himself and came to be with us and came to live among us and came to show us how to live a life that is fully committed to being in the Father's house. Philippians 2, 7 through 8 says, God did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself so that we could be filled, guys. Jesus broke his body so that he could mend the world. Jesus was oppressed by worldly kingdoms so that he could build his own kingdom. In his death and resurrection, Jesus gave us life and he declared, I am the reward. And so what is our challenge? Knowing that that is true, knowing that that is Jesus' call, seeing, seeing hindsight, we see it perfectly. We see that Jesus' life was leading to a culmination where all these things would become true, that all the prophecies that Mary was told about the Son of God that she would give birth to would become true, that he was the true king, he was the true Israel, he was the true temple, he was all of these things. And so our challenge, our challenge is what to do when we face the confusing reality of this Christian life, this call to be living in a place that we are ultimately not called to because we're aliens to this world. We are part of a heavenly kingdom, but we are still flesh and blood here. And I believe that this conclusion and the point of this text is found in Mary's response. And Mary's response is our challenge. Listen to Mary's response. It says, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to him. 
he went down with them and came to Nazareth and, and was submissive to them. That word also means, and Jesus was obedient to them. And listen to this, it says, and his mother Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. At the virgin birth, the angel of the Lord came to Mary and says, you will have a baby, you will fulfill the prophecy, although you are a virgin. And she says, how can I have a baby if I am a virgin? Confusing moment in history, right? Losing her son, finding him in the temple, she's faced with another question. Why would you look for me, mom? You should have known where I was. The first question, right, was followed by, this is hard, but I know what your word says, and I will do according to your word. As John taught, as Mary gives this prayer in the Magnificat that is just an awesome, unbelievable foretaste of who God is and what he will bring into the world through her womb. She prays in the kingdom of God, knowing that she has faith in the security of knowing that she can just simply follow the words that have been spoken to her, not by the angel, but by the prophecies that she will do according to his word. But here her response is different. Here, Jesus doesn't take the disciples in and say, right, I know, I know you didn't understand me, but I will tell you the secret of the kingdom of God. No, there's no conclusion to this confusion. There's no, there's no clarity at the end. He just kind of leaves it, and Mary is left. And what does she say? I treasured all of these things in my heart. Mary treasured what she knew. And in that moment, you could argue that this was even more confusing than an angel coming to her and telling her that she would give birth to a son. Because feeling like she has this attachment that she, she knows her son, that somehow this would be consistently less and less and less confusing as she becomes deeper into parenting and, and as, as he grows older and older, that there would be more clarity and more proximity and more closeness, but she finds herself completely confused. Yet she treasures all of these things in her heart. What is she treasuring? What are all these things? How can we do the same in our confusion? And I believe the answer is in Jesus' submission again, not to the Father, but to his earthly mother. Mary was only able to treasure all that she knew because Jesus treasured we are only able to treasure the things that are in front of us, however confusing, the life that is brought in front of us because Jesus has treasured us. And Jesus doesn't just confuse. He is committed to those that he confuses. And so what we see is that Jesus' obedience to empty himself and obey his mother would lead to Mary's resolve that his service to her would become her motivation not to obtain the answers, but to be okay with not knowing the answers and treasure her father. That in order for Mary to submit to Jesus, Jesus submitted to Mary. That in order for Mary to empty herself from wanting the answers or wanting the clarity, 
that Jesus would empty himself and be a master that served his servant. And very simply put, Jesus submitted to Mary's authority so that she would submit to his. Jesus entered into Mary's confusion so that she could find her treasure in the Father's house. Mary's response was one of commitment and confidence in the Lord despite her lack of clarity. And amidst great confusion, Mary was able to take great comfort in knowing that she can treasure what she knows to be true of the Father without understanding the entire story. I think we look at people in the Bible and we think that they just have this faith and they're operating in this faith because they're around Jesus and they know something that we don't. And here Mary is closest to Jesus out of anybody and she finds herself in this confusing situation and ultimately because Jesus submits to her first out of the loving grace that he gives, he shows her submission by being obedient to her instead of continuing to call her out and say, how could you not know where I was? You were wrong. He says, no, I will empty myself and I will obey you. Your obedience is my treasure. That my life and my call is to win over not just humanity, but to restore all things new. And I will empty myself and I will not just be a savior who is coming to restore all things with an iron fist, but I will empty myself. And I will obey you. And out of the loving grace of God, I will choose you and I will treasure you. And in Mary's life, that resulted in an obedience back, a treasure back that was not grounded in an answer from Jesus or clarity for her life, but in just simply knowing that Jesus was there with her. that her Savior was willing to love her in a way that passed words to submit to her when she had struggled to submit to him. And let that be true in 2020. Let that challenge us as we go forth to not try to overcome our confusion by obtaining clarity, but to rest in knowing that Jesus has entered our story and that he is our treasure despite the confusion that we may be in. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. God, we know that, um, God, there are many in our midst that are going through things that are just tough. Um, sickness, chronic illness, unexpected news, death, new challenges, new jobs, new ventures, moving. God, we pray that we would understand that our treasure is found in Jesus alone. That our treasure is not found in somehow beating the confusion of life and getting ahead, but resting in knowing that you treasure and you are committed to the people that you also confuse because you are high above. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. Before Abraham was, you were in the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. We can't understand you, and we can't describe you. We will continue to be confused. But we know that trust and faith in you will bring us the treasure that our hearts need. May our response be like Mary, to look at our lives and say, I'm going to treasure all that I have. I'm going to treasure what I know about Jesus. 
and I'm going to treasure what is true in my life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we're going to enter into a, a time of communion where we celebrate that simple fact that Jesus, as we read in Philippians 2, verses 7, that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, humbled, of health, humbled himself by being coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And communion is a, is a meal where we celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus, the representation we here have here on this table to know that that was actually broken and poured out for us. That Jesus, Jesus didn't just empty himself in a way that served himself, but emptied himself in a way that elevated us and gave us salvation, not just from our sin, not just from darkness, but from the world that we are in. We see that... Um, demands a response. Communion demands a response. So what I'd encourage you here is, is whether you're a skeptic, you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, whether you're a believer, demands a response. What is that challenge? That challenge to be in the Father's house. For you, it might be believing in Jesus for the first time and understanding that the call to Jesus Christ is the greatest step that you could ever make. And although scary, it is comforting to know that Jesus is there with you. Or maybe it is taking that next step of faith in your life. Being that loving neighbor, being that person who is willing to empty themselves for the sake of elevating others. What does that challenge mean to you? The meal and this table presents a challenge to us to be like Christ as he emptied himself on the cross for us. And so as you come up and... We have four stations over here. Um, just take a take a cracker. We have we have a juice. Um, feel free to to take that um, back to your seat and take that when you wish. Um, just like to explain um, that it is it is important that you guys understand 